Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. What's gonna happen tonight? What's gonna happen? We're gonna whoop their Welcome into the Go Vols 247 podcast. I am Ben McKee, joined by Patrick Brown and Ryan Callahan on this Labor Day, Monday, September 4th. No such thing as a day off during football season, and that is why we are convening by the interwebs to bring you a podcast. It is football season. We are on to week two, and we have plenty to discuss, both putting a bow on Tennessee's win over Virginia and getting ready for Saturday's home opener against Austin P. Again, we've got Patrick Brown. We've got Ryan Callahan. How are y'all doing today? Doing good. We're just uh, laboring on Labor Day. Uh, the usual. Uh, it's it's Austin P. Week, so you know motivation is going to be key for everyone. Um, you know, but we get to see football at Neyland Stadium on Saturday, so that's that's the light at the end of the tunnel. And then it's Florida Week, which there will be no motivation issues that uh, this time next week. Yeah, do, doing okay, and uh, and yeah, just glad to have a football game to discuss. You know, we go through months of talking about stuff and uh, looking forward to games, and now we've actually got a game to to break down. I still got to go back and, and rewatch it. I was traveling and doing some other stuff Sunday, but I'm sure uh, I'm sure you guys might have gotten a chance to rewatch some of it. But I feel like there's still a lot I, I need to go back and see again to kind of digest everything we saw. But it's good to have something to kind of break down and 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 sink our teeth into a little bit after months of just kind of anticipating what things might look like there absolutely was and and is and we will get to that especially patrick's thoughts because patrick was not on the post-game podcast that consisted of myself wes rucker and ryan callahan but i i feel like the biggest news that we need to touch on first and foremost before even discussing the virginia game is that tennessee is wearing some alternate uniforms against austin p on Saturday evening at 5 p.m. Eastern. It is going to kick on SEC Network Plus, so technically not being televised, but will be streamed. Uh, But the big news, first thing Monday morning around 8 o'clock, early bird gets the worm, and the early bird was up and and getting the worm this morning when Tennessee dropped this news. Uh, Usually they like to to release their uniform that they're going to wear for the game on, on Thursday in the past, it was really kind of Friday, and then I feel like under Josh Heupel, it's gotten earlier and earlier each year. Some days it's late Wednesday and, and early Thursday, and then and, and this week it was first thing Monday morning. And again, that's that that they are wearing uh, throwback uniforms to honor Condridge Holloway uh, because well, this Saturday, sort of throwback. Yes, as as I am going that's to get it. to uh, it, it, on Saturday, it'll mark fifty one years to the day. Uh, that Condridge Holloway uh, became the first black quarterback to start in the SEC. Uh, and it is a mix of an alternate uniform, as Ryan was pointing out. They are honoring Holloway uh, by going back to the 
big shoulders, I, I guess. I, I don't even know the correct way to describe it, but those throwback the orange music. shoulders. Yes, the orange shoulders. Thank you. Uh, that that they wore in the 70s. Uh, that that is going to debut this weekend. Uh, and then also because Tennessee does have a contract with Nike through at least 2025 to have a different smoky gray uniform each season. They are combining those old throwback uniforms that Condridge wore in the seventies with uh, a new variation of the smoky gray, which I don't know that it's a new variation. I think the new variation is the fact that it's mixed in with, with the old Condridge Holloway jerseys. Not that that's what they're called, but the ones that Condridge wore since they're honoring Condridge on Saturday. And uh, Patrick, it's it's left uh, a lot of discussions out there on the interwebs this morning about this this new alternate uniform they displayed on Monday morning. Yeah, Ben, uh, alternate uniforms always get a lot of discussion, particularly at a at a program like Tennessee, where uh, tradition is highly valued, and no one should ever accuse Josh Heupel of uh, not caring or discounting Tennessee's traditions. Um, and in fact, this is a you know this, there is a a look to the past uh, view uh, with this move. It's sort of a, a phrase that we've heard Hypo use a lot when talking about the possibility of, of throwback uniform or alternate uniforms is, is putting sort of new age twists on uh, some of Tennessee's traditional looks. And, and this is exactly that because um, you're taking a seventies area uniform and, and they were, the the real throwbacks for that uh that 2004 opener i think against UNLV when they played sunday night labor day sunday night brent Schaefer, eric ainge made their uh debuts um for those that remember that one um and they're taking that jersey and putting sort of a new twist on it with uh with the smoky gray and and the jerseys almost look black to me but uh again you always got to wait and see how these things look when they're on how they look on TV, all those things. Well, I guess technically the game won't be on TV, uh, although you can get it on your television if you're smart enough to figure out the ESPN app. Um, anyways, but yeah, I mean the uh, you know we we only talked to one player on on Monday, and that was Brew McCoy, and uh, he said he liked him and and said that the team really liked him, and you know it's not lost on those guys why they're wearing it. Um, you know, Contra Holloway is uh, an important part of this program, and he's somebody that. A lot of players on Tennessee's team, you know, they, you know, it's not lost on them that he was the first uh, African American to start a quarterback in the SEC. So um, that's, you know, some that that's cool to them. They like it. They like this stuff. Um, and Hypo has involved them in, in Jersey decisions for other games. So um, that's, you know, and, and that's what matters most, right? I mean, that's, you know, the players are the ones that are going to be wearing it. You as a fan don't have to go out and buy it at, you know, Dick's House of Sport or wherever else it might be sold. Uh, the bookstore, you know, whatever alumni hall, wherever they're selling it. But, um, you know, it's important that the players like it. And, and you know, this is obviously has been touched on with the anniversary of, of Condridge's first start. That's the reason that, that they're going uh, and doing this uh, on, on Saturday evening. Yeah, the, the timing's pretty cool on, on this. I like the, that it does align with the uh, the anniversary. And I, I wasn't personally expecting this. I, I think we knew that they were going to have another uh, Smoky Gray uh, game in some form or fashion this year. And the, we had seen, of course, the the replica version of this jersey leak out on social media a few weeks ago or last month, whenever that was, uh, toward the end of the summer. And it, it you know, it was <laughs> people kind of saw the replica version first, as you kind of do a lot of times these days. I remember a, a leaked photo of the Titans 
uh, remade uniforms a few years ago, getting out. And when you see the replica version, they're you know they're, they're more cheaply made than the real thing. They they never have a very flattering look when there's something a little bit different. Only plain uniforms are, look good to you at first when you see the replica version. <laughs> so so when you see something a little bit different, you know I think people naturally kind of kind of recoil a little bit and say I don't know if I like that. So when you see these, uh, you know Joe Milton modeled them for the for the photos they released Monday morning. It looks a lot better, I think, on the field. Uh, we'll, we'll see from a distance how they look, how they look on TV. But I thought the finished product with the pants and everything together looked a little bit better than than what I thought they would look like when I saw the replica version weeks ago. So it's uh, you know we'll, we'll see Saturday. I'm sure there uh, there will be somewhat mixed reviews uh, Saturday, but a lot of people I think will will probably like them when they see the the, the actual uniforms on the field. And uh, it's yeah, I, I like the twist that you know, you're honoring the tradition. Uh, while while doing something different, if you know, you might remember Tennessee wearing the original uh, kind of throwbacks of these almost 20 years ago. Now, uh, in, in the 2004 season opener against UNLV, they wore the uh, the actual throwback of those uh, of those uniforms, and they were really well received at the time. So for these, you know, they're going to look a little different, obviously. And and, and as, you, as you said, Patrick, kind of dark looking, uh, not just gray. I thought they they did look very dark in the pictures they released, but it's a uh, it's at least a, a cool uh, tip of the cap to to those uniforms, while while being something you know obviously entirely different. And and let's let's Tennessee get that one out of the way, and now we can start guessing when they're going to wear the black uniforms this year uh, at some point for probably an SEC game. Yeah, I, I thought the same as as you did, Ryan, uh, in, in terms of it looking much better. These looking much better than the ones we saw floating around the stores uh, throughout the the end of the summer. Uh, and that's typically the case. Uh, and, you know, it, it's all personal preference in terms of whether or not you, you like the jersey or not. I personally do like these these uniforms. I don't think they're the best alternates that they've worn. Uh, I also think the original throwbacks with orange and white, Tennessee's colors, obviously. I, I think the, the, the traditional ones, the traditional throwbacks that, that have been worn at times, I, I do think those obviously look better. Um, but I, I think these look fine. Uh, again, not not the greatest alternate jerseys of all time, but I, I do personally uh, like them. And and look, you're wearing them against Austin P. I, I I do have a belief that against Alabama, Georgia, Florida, kind of those big time year to year rivalry games, you you probably shouldn't wear. At least in my opinion, you you should be in orange or you should be in white in those games. Against Austin P. Even against you know Missouri. South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, picking one of those each year to to wear an alternate uniform like we've seen them do the last couple of years. That's perfectly fine. Like you, you can honor tradition and be one of those schools that that really prides itself on not having a thousand jerseys. But I think you can also mix in an alternate uniform once, maybe twice a year. And I I think that Tennessee is is striking a really good balance right now uh, because you heard Josh Heupel speak. I guess it was today he said that the recruits love them and the players love them. And at the end of the day, that that's kind of what matters most. So not the most beautiful alternate jerseys of all time, but I I, I kind of think they're they're really nice looking. It's the it's the smoky gray helmets though, right? Those are the, the yeah, yes. at least the original ones. Those are very those are excellent helmets in my opinion. Yes, the ones with the mountains in, right, in yes. the background. The the and yes, I, I Guess they were the original ones that debuted under Butch. I, I'm I'm not sure if when they were worn most recently, if there were any tweaks to them. I don't think that there were. 
Yeah, I don't think yeah, so. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, right. It's the ones they wore at LSU, right? It's it, those were yeah. the 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 original Smoky Grays. But I think I think everybody loves those helmets, right? I mean, I don't I don't, I don't yep. think I've ever heard anybody really have anything bad to say about those just because of the details with the the mountains and the, and the, the shading. I think I think those are pretty popular, right? Yeah. And, and Ryan, real quick, I mean, it, it's just a an odd look, right? Like the broad, prominent shoulders kind of blocked out in orange to, to go mm-hmm. to go with uh, dark gray, if we want to call it that. I know they're calling it smoky gray, uh, but like Patrick said, it, it's a little darker, it, it seems. It, it's an odd look, but I, I think it's fine. I, I don't think it's ugly. I really don't. I actually kind of like them, um, but I, I think, like I said, it, it's fine to wear them once once this one time against Austin P. It's not like you're wearing them on the third Saturday in October. Yeah, and I and I think I remember them saying uh, in the release where where they announced the return of the smoky gray uh, uniforms uh, under Josh Heupel that they would be unveiling a few different variations over the next few years. So we might even see a different one next year, if I remember correctly, um, to go along with this one. So we'll we'll see what else they have in store for those. You know, jo- Josh Heupel's shown he's going to be you know pretty open to new ideas on on alternate uniforms. And and he's absolutely right about the recruiting angle. That's that's the point I was going to make. He, I mean, it, he's dead on with that because when you see guys on official visits, um, they they almost always take their photos for for their photo shoots with an alternate uniform, whether it's the black one or the smoky gray. So uh, that, that they are extremely popular with recruits. That's the number one reason to to do this. And I would imagine these are going to be pretty well received by recruits. And I think when fans see them on the field, the fact that the orange on the shoulders does look a little odd, but I think the fact that the orange is going to be very visible from the TV view for those people who think Tennessee's your orange all the time, that, that might make them go down a little bit easier for some people to see that there is more orange on this alternate uniform. But I was going to say, for that matter, I wish they would bring back those 2004 throwbacks. Uh, a new version of those would be very well received. People liked those at the time. Um, you know, I, I, the actual throwback itself would be a great uniform to mix in on some sort of regular basis, even if it's just every few years. I think that'd be a really popular move and kind of in the building on what they're doing Saturday with these with these kind of new twist uniforms. As we transition backwards and put a bow on this Virginia game, Ryan, since you were on the post game pod after Patrick speaks, I want to kind of get your thoughts from the the forty eight hours after perspective and, and and kind of what's been solidified in your mind since we recorded the post-game podcast. But first, Patrick, since you were not on the post-game podcast, just what were your main takeaways? What stood out to you about Tennessee's dominant win over Virginia on Saturday? Well, Ben, I, I've gone and, and, and watched it back. I think I got to the point where it was 35-3. So, um, you know, it, it was a little bit Kind of a lot like we kind of maybe expected going in. I mean, we thought Tennessee was going to have an advantage um, with its defensive line. Virginia's offensive line is clearly uh, a big question mark for that team going into the season. And so, you know, uh, it, it was pretty obvious that, you know, that was going to be a, a big swing in Tennessee's favor. And, and that crew played like it was. You know, I thought Tennessee's defense really as a whole looked um looked really good and that's regardless of the opponent they were flying around they were physical they were fast they were athletic they were disruptive up front uh they were in good position in the back end you never really saw anybody uh out of position i thought they tackled well um you know they gave up a play here and there um but 
you know, the, the way the defensive line played was, was, was really strong. And, um, in, in terms of, you know, I, I thought Tim Banks could keep it simple. They didn't really, I don't think they blitzed very often. Um, and so they were able to just rush with four play kind of coverage on the back end and still get plenty of pressure. I mean, just the, the displacement of the offensive line when Tennessee wasn't running around or by those, those guys up front was pretty stark. Um, and so that, that's a good sign. And, and you would expect Tennessee with a lot of veterans and in year three on defense to, to have, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that they'd have a lot of busts, even in the first game. So, uh, that's a good sign offensively. I, I think it was, you know, this, this offense, whatever you throw at it as a defense, they, they've almost are built and have counters to, to work around it. You know, we heard Ramel Keaton last week say that Virginia liked to play aggressive, play a lot of man. Well, they lost two corners. One of them looked pretty daggum good for Florida state last night. The other one, you know, went to the NFL. So, um, you know, with new corners, some guys that were corners that are playing safety, you know, a lot of moving pieces in the back end. You know, Virginia comes out and, and basically says, we're going to keep everything in front of us. We're going to play off the line. We're going to play two safeties. We're going to live with six guys in the box. And if you guys can run the ball, you know, honest, then go for it. And, and Tennessee ran the ball really well, um, 287 yards. I thought the offensive line looked pretty good, giving all the question marks that that group had. Um, and, and, and Tennessee was able to take what, you know, Virginia was playing it. And and be methodical like they had to, you know, when, when teams are playing that way, they're trying to take away the home runs. You've got to be methodical and hit a bunch of singles. And that's what Tennessee was able to do. Uh, I thought Jalen Wright looked awesome. Um, I thought Joe Milton was pretty good. I think there were a couple of plays that weren't his best. Um, uh, but other than that, I think he made a lot of really good decisions. Uh, I thought he got the ball out quickly. I thought he saw things really well in terms of, OK, I need to get the ball here. I need to hand the ball off. I need to keep it. Uh, things like that. The tempo was good. So. Um, you know, they they went through that lull in the, in the in the first half, and a lot of that you think you can not to pile on Ramel Keaton, but you know if he makes that play, that's you know it's a lot. It looks a lot different, and you know Joe made a great throw to Brew McCoy too that almost was a was a touchdown. So, um, I I think the, all in all, I think it was pretty solid. But again, enough mistakes and things to uh, uh, to correct moving forward, but. The standouts for me, obviously, were the defensive line. I thought they were awesome, and I thought the running backs looked really good too, led by Jalen Wright. But um, you know, I think it was a good starting point for Tennessee. Now they gotta they gotta get some more things ironed out before they go to Florida. Yeah, I'm actually uh, you know, going through some of the uh, the, the re- reviewing the game as we talk about it a little bit and, and getting my first rewatch of it. Uh, you know, kind of kind of enforces what I thought Saturday was defensive line was. Was was okay, and we talked about that uh, Saturday. Been in our post game podcast, uh, you know, only giving up one sack, rushing for as many yards as they had. That that's a that's a pretty solid start under under any uh, uh, by any description. So that that's that's the the bottom line takeaway. But I I do think they're going to face obviously much bigger tests, and I think there is still some legitimate concern about the left guard position. I uh, don't think Andre Andre Karak had a you know, dominant performance there by any means. So, I, you know, I don't know what the solution is there or if, or if they even have to worry about a, a solution for the next, you know, two or three weeks or however much longer Cooper Mays might be out. But if that is something that's going to carry into the SEC schedule at all, I, I still would be looking for some solutions there. And I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what they do. They, they mixed and matched a lot Saturday. And that was maybe the most interesting part to me is that you know, Jackson Lampley got a lot of work at left guard. You know, Dane Davis, I thought looked pretty good at center uh, coming off the bench. And I, I wonder if that opens up some possibilities. Do they consider 
Davis at center and Ollie Lane at left guard. You know, I would I would at least you know give that combination some thought, but I'm, I'm sure they'll look at all that and see see what the best uh, solution is going forward. But they, you know, the good news is they get another game to work out any any sort of issues there uh, against Austin P. It's a it's a perfect time to play an FCS opponent, get a lot of depth tested, see who can help you against Florida and in the SEC schedule moving forward, and and who can't. Um, and, and, and the, the defense, you know, I, I again, it, it probably can't be said enough that that group looked good. Um, but I, you know, as I said, Saturday too, I think Virginia is still not very good. So I, I, I'll, I almost don't know how much to take away from that game aside from what we saw from James Pierce and Tyler Barron. I think that can sort of project to other games. I think those guys getting after the quarterback is a very good sign, especially Pierce, who looks like he just has that kind of. God-given ability, they just haven't had a whole lot off the edge uh, in, in over the past decade or so. Uh, he, he's got a chance to be special if he can continue to reach his potential. Um, I was a little bit surprised by the way some of the rotations worked, looking back at the snap counts and things like that. Um, a little surprised we didn't see a little more of Arion Carter. Joshua Josephs was one that I, I thought didn't get a lot of a lot of work that I I thought would be in the game a little bit more. So you know we'll see how much more those guys get to play Saturday, but that's something that. You know, I think they, they need to continue to work on their depth and develop some guys uh, that were, you know, kind of behind the first two units, especially. And this Saturday will be big for that to to kind of get ready for SEC play. Yeah, my my main two takeaways in that post game pod was, man, the running backs look terrific and and look like one of the best trios in the entire country. Uh, obviously, it'd be kind of hard to to show our work in in terms of sitting down and, and finding the time and researching that, but it's just hard to envision there being many trios in the country at that running back position better than what Tennessee has right now. They, they were awesome. But as we've gotten further away from the game, what stood out more and more in my head is just how awesome that that front seven was defensively. And, and like, I agree with you, Ryan. Like, it was Virginia. that they're, they're not very good. But it's also mostly, you know, a good chunk of it is is the same defensive front that that gave Clemson a lot of issues too. So I I do think there is a, a bigger sample size than than maybe we realize in the moment. And also in our game day podcasts with with Jackie, I mean she talked about how Virginia's defensive front, and, and we talked about it how it, it has a lot of veterans. They return their top four, top five guys. And yes, Chico Bennett is a big loss for them, but they still have a, a lot of experienced depth there. And if I remember correctly. She referred to to Virginia's defensive front as one of the better ones in the ACC defensive line. That is, uh, and, and so um, I'm kind of speaking on two different things here. Tennessee's defensive front they were dominant, and and that was awesome to see. But I guess I should have clarified that as we've gotten further away from from our game day podcast, the play of the offensive line has stood out more and more. They they're further ahead than I thought that they would be, given that Cooper Mays is out, given that they are playing musical chairs. At, at different positions, I thought that that veteran Virginia defensive line was going to give them a little more issues than people realized, and they really didn't. I mean, they they kept Joe Milton up. Uh, they they obviously opened up holes for the the running game and the running backs that that we discussed. Uh, so I, I think that's a, a really big positive. I, I thought the tackles played well, especially John Campbell, uh, and, and I thought Mincy. I did think think it was interesting that we saw him at left tackle, and then Cole Kubik, the the offensive line guru, he comes out in his tweet and says, "Got to got to find a way to stick that guy on the other side of the offensive line and, and keep him there." 
uh, which points to the awkwardness of him playing left tackle. That's kind of been talked about on the Tennessee beat all off season yep. and, and really going back to, to last year. So uh, the offensive line that that's kind of been the one thing that stood out in my mind since we recorded our game post post game podcast is that they're a little further ahead than, than, than I realized. And, and I think people maybe within Knoxville, but definitely outside of Knoxville or maybe sleeping on Tennessee's defense a, a little bit too much right now. Uh, and, and yes, I'd like to see a stronger test, but as I mentioned, the Clemson game, I, I think that does give for a bigger sample size than, than maybe we realize. Uh, but also like we're, we're not really going to see them tested anytime soon because you look at how Florida's offense performed against Utah and how South Carolina's offense uh, performed against uh, North Carolina on Saturday night, and it, it's hard not to envision the, this Tennessee defensive front just beating up those two offenses here to round what out about September. UTSA? What about UTSA? UTSA, they looked even worse uh, against against Houston well, on, on on Saturday night. But I I know UTSA is is good. But I mean, this I wrote it in our game by game breakdown predictions. Like I, yes, the offense is going to be good. And whatnot, but I really think that the the defensive front is going to set the tone in in that Florida and South Carolina game because there are huge question marks around Florida and South Carolina's offensive line, and I feel even more convicted in that after watching those units play this weekend. Yeah, we we got to see what what Pierce can do against uh, a tackle that isn't really probably a guard, uh, and you know was coming over from Houston where he he hardly played. Um, not to say that that Pierce isn't going to go on to bigger, better things. He's he's almost like a Daryl Taylor kind of. I'm getting those kind of vibes from him early on. Uh, but there's so many guys on the defensive line that just popped up. I mean, no more Norman Lott. I don't know how many tackles he made, but he was making stuff happen. Mari Thomas was back there. Bryson Easton got in the backfield a couple times. Tyree West. Uh, I mean, Roman Harrison was quiet, but he flashed around the edge a couple times. So, um is there anybody I'm missing? I mean, Tyler Barron, you know, if they get that Tyler Barron every week, SEC defensive lineman of the week, or just now before we got uh, to recording this, um, you know, if they get him every week, I mean, they, they have a chance to be really, really good. On the offensive line, um, I, I thought I actually thought Joe Mincy looked pretty good. Um, they they pulled him a few times on uh, from right tackle, and, and they did a lot of pulling tackles uh, in this game, and you know he's he's a big he's a big boy coming around coming around the uh, the guards there and leading the way through the through the hole. Um, you know I, I thought he maybe looked a little bit better than Crawford uh, at right tackle, and uh, I, I do think Carrick uh, to Ryan's point. I think there were a couple times where I think he kind of missed missed a couple blocks, just you know didn't get didn't get his body on a guy. Um, and you know it's his first game in a new offense, and it's his first game playing guard too. So uh, it's a starting point for him. But I do wonder. You know I asked Josh Heupel on Monday about. Ollie Lane and Dane Davis. Dane Davis hadn't even, I don't think he ever played center before about three weeks ago when Gourmet's got, got hurt and they came out of the first scrimmage and uh, we showed up to that practice and he's snapping, you know, and Heupel said that, you know, they weren't really sure how it was going to go when they did it, but um, he's sort of settled in there. Okay. And, and maybe that, maybe it is, maybe he's the center and, and Ollie Lane is the left guard until Cooper gets back, but um, they'll still have another game this week to tinker with it. And I just want to point out one time, one time that, um, you know, sometimes you, you watch other games and maybe watch the NFL and you're like, why, if you're a fan, you're like, why can't my team do what Team X does? Let's give, let's give Tennessee some credit for taking what the Philadelphia Eagles do with their quarterback sneak, which was potentially going to be outlawed and basically recreating it with Javante Spragans and Tyree West as the, what are we, are we calling them the pushers? We, we need to come up with a name for this. Um, 
I mean, I, I don't know how, you know, that, that, that should work a hundred times out of a hundred on fourth and one bully ball is what the comes goal to line. my mind. I mean, you got a 235 pound quarterback. Um, I wrote down who all they had on the field. I think they had like six offensive linemen on the line. Um, and then they had those two monsters in the back. And it's just like, I mean, it, it's, uh, somebody on our board was kind of messing with me for referencing Jalen Hurts as an Alabama quarterback. First of all, he's a former Oklahoma quarterback to me. Second of all, I've never seen any team really do this rugby scrum until the Eagles did it. So, uh, yeah, that's, um, you know, shout out for Tennessee for seeing that and copying that and, and implementing that in, into their uh, into their playbook, into their game plan uh, the, going into the season. The interesting thing about that is taking Javante Spragans off the line, which some people might question a little bit. You know, that's maybe your best blocker up front in, in a big situation like that. And and you're, you're basically saying it's more important to have him pushing than it is to have him up front. Uh, but, hey, you're right. I think there's there's something to that. And <laughs> Have you seen him? I'd want him pushing me from behind, too. Uh, I, I'd get anywhere I wanted to go with him. Totally fair. I, pushing I, I pushing me. Yeah, I, I wouldn't question that. I just, yeah, it's it's an interesting thought, and, and maybe they they just have more options there uh, to 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 line up up front as opposed to to behind the quarterback there. But I'll be interested in seeing how much they they go to that or, or something like that. And, and knowing this staff, will they have sort of a a counter to that when teams think they've got it you know, snuffed out and can stop it? Will they will they you know one timeout at ten this year? You know, come out with some sort of <laughs> twist on that play. That's a wrinkle that that goes for a long. Are you suggesting they throw it to Big Javantes? Is that what you're suggesting? Uh, oh, not not that, but just you know something. Will I will they have a tight give him give it give him the football. Will you have a tight end? Pretty out good there? getting out of the end zone against Georgia last season. <laughs> he did. Will, will you have a tight end out on the edge that you send downfield on that play or something and throw you know for a forty yard touchdown on fourth and one? You know, something like that. I could see this staff. You know, they they tend to set up wrinkles like that. Over the the long haul, I, I I could definitely see that being a possibility uh, with anything they do. But uh, one one thing that, that did kind of stand out, you know, that they've had to. I, I, we, we talked on the post game podcast, Pat, about the the fourth down attempts, and I, uh, you know, still worth noting that Josh Heupel keeps going for those that he didn't hesitate on fourth and one at his own twenty nine early in the game, didn't hesitate on fourth and five on the first drive of the game, and that ended up being you know kind of a turning point. I think a field goal would have been. Not deflating, but after the the ease with which they drove down the field, would have been a little bit of a letdown to only come away with three there. Um, but they that that is kind of a trend. It seems like they've not been as efficient on third downs without Hendon Hooker. And five of thirteen in this game, not bad, but not great either. I'll be watching that a little bit going forward. Can they get better on third downs? I, I feel like they've got to look to the tight ends a little more. Only two catches in that game, one one each for Jacob Warren and McAllen Castles. I feel like they've got a couple weapons there that that could help that 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 group of receivers, and and I think Tennessee is maybe going to take a step back at the receiver position this year. That's what that's one thing that I came out came out of Saturday's game maybe not more concerned about, but maybe more convinced that I think Tennessee's not quite as good, which is to be expected. They lost Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman. That's two third round picks there, so they they probably w- will have a little bit of a hard time replacing them. But you know, Dante Thornton's not there yet. Looks like he's still got to come along in the offense, which is probably to be expected. You know, they they look a little more a little more human, maybe a little bit easier to defend at receiver than they were last year. So with that being the case, they've got to be efficient and they've got to throw the ball, you know, kind of scheme some things up and maybe just make sure they're throwing it to the right spot. And I, I wonder if you don't have to kind of maybe not force feed, but look to the tight ends a little bit a little bit more because I think Jacob Warren and, and McAllen Castles give you something. And, and two catches for me, maybe not enough from that group. It's just one game. It's very small sample size, but I, I wonder if 
they've got to do some things a little bit differently on third downs to make sure they're being as efficient as possible there because you don't have the wheels that Hendon Hooker had that sometimes made plays. Whereas Joe Milton, while he can run, I feel like that's just not going to be as frequent of a part of his game as it was with Hooker. Certainly some fair thoughts, and we will come back after this break on the Go Balls 247 podcast and get Patrick Brown's thoughts on what Ryan thinks about Tennessee's offense coming out of the opener. But as I mentioned, we do need to catch a break, and we will be back here in just a moment on the Go Balls 247 podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Welcome back into the GoValls 247 podcast. I am Ben Key, joined by Ryan Callahan and Patrick Brown on this Monday, September 4th on Labor Day. It is football season. There is no days off in in our world, and that's why we are coming to you live on the interwebs to bring you this podcast. Uh, before we continue our conversation, would like to encourage you to go like, rate, and review the podcast, as that would be a big help to us. And then, obviously, Wes is not taking the day off. Uh, he has some family emergencies going on as as i'm sure everybody has seen on twitter and, and social media the last couple of weeks uh w- with hank so if, if you could just take a moment out of your day to send good positive vibes their way and, and hopefully we'll be able to get west back on here sooner rather than later uh in the meantime patrick you heard ryan talking about how tennessee's receivers are just going to be absolutely terrible this season that's what i no, heard we go. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan didn't say that, but I hope that's what the checkerboard heard and, and gives Ryan H-E double hockey sticks for uh, saying that. Oh, boy. Uh, I, 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 I agree and also disagree. I, I, I expected more from them in the opener for sure, but I, I'm not freaking out on, on them just yet. I still thought they looked good in, in general. They, they just didn't maybe look elite or great like I, I maybe thought that they would be going into the opener, but it, it seemed more operational issues than physical issues uh, i i still don't really think that there's going to be a, a huge drop off uh personally now that that does although lead me to the question that i was going to pose to you patrick uh, and it's one that wes ryan and myself talked about and all agreed on the postgame podcast and that is that this offense although I do not personally believe that the receivers are going to take a huge step back, if any, and I think they're still going to be some of the best receivers in the SEC and and be productive. Uh, Again, I think Josh Heupel's comments after the game and and then on Monday about them not being in the best flow, I I thought that was putting it nicely. I I don't really think that he liked their effort. I thought that he thought that they're maybe a a little too lackadaisical. Uh, Maybe we're feeling themselves a little bit too much, and, and that crept up on them. On game day, that's my personal opinion, but I do think it is fair to wonder and have a have a conversation about this Tennessee rushing attack, maybe being more of the strength of the offense and 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 not necessarily 
it, it meaning anything about what the receivers or the passing game is. I just think that this rushing attack just may be that good. Yeah, and and you know, saying that the receivers are going to be are going to stink and be terrible like Ryan did is typical <laughs> first game overreaction. Just like, oh, <laughs> uh, I think it was the SEC shorts video that came out on Monday that you know had the overreaction from game one and and the 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 gentleman in the video says that Tennessee's going to have to you know, hope they I hope they can split the Doak Walker award into three pieces to give one to Jabari and Jalen and, and Dylan Sampson so um you know we just got to see you know there's going to be games where where defenses are going to try to take away Tennessee's run game um and, and yeah, there might be questions about the offensive line, and we still want to see what they do against a, an SEC caliber defensive line. But um, you know, the the run game is what makes this offense go because it's sort of the keeps them ahead of the chains. It keeps them playing with tempo when they're able to get. You know, we've seen it so many times over the past two years where they run for four, run for five, run for three, and then you know all these little short passes, these quick runs that are efficient, moving the ball, and then. Bam, here comes the haymaker of the deep ball. So, you know, that that's if you're not running the ball well, you're behind the chains and, and you're not playing with with tempo and you know, you don't have that rhythm. So, you know, there's gonna be defensive coordinators that are gonna say, Yeah, Joe Milton might hit six bombs on us for touchdowns, but we, we're not we're we're not gonna just get death by a ten thousand paper cuts of, you know, Jalen Wright and Jabari Small and Dylan Sampson running for five, six, seven, eight yards at a time, occasionally 15, occasionally 20, things like that. So, you know, these receivers are going to have to step up. They're going to have to play better than they did on Saturday. Um, and, and, you know, they should. I think it was it was just so close to me. And I, I kind of wrote this wrote this in the report card that posted on Monday morning to the site. Check it out if you, ha- if you haven't seen it. But it's just it's nearly there for those guys. You know, Ramel Keaton makes a catch on a, on a play that – as Brew McCoy said on Monday, he would, you know, Keaton would make that 10 out of 10 times. He's seen Keaton work on catching deep balls, you know, after practice or after workouts, more de- more days than he can count. And so, you know, um, you know, makes that play. If if Brew gets his foot in a couple of inches more in bounds, that's a great, you know, no one's worried about the receivers if if that goes down as a catch. Um, you know, Dante Thornton had a chance to make a big play. Uh, maybe had another third down where he, he couldn't come up with a contested catch. And, and there was a time where Milton just missed him uh, on the play on the post that, that he threw to Brew that almost got picked off. He was looking to his left. He had locked in on Brew. If he looks to his right, Dante Thornton has got nobody near him. Uh, he ran past the safety and passed everybody. And that, that would have been another layup too. So um, they do have to step it up. I, I I do agree with that, but it was close, right? I think there were, you know, just a couple of plays here and there. And if, if those go a little bit differently, then we're, we're having a different conversation about these receivers, but um, I'm not down on them yet. I know Ryan is ready to replace all of them um, <laughs> and, and just go to the wing T and just run the ball every play. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I, they, they should be disappointed and, and listening to Brew McCoy talk on Monday. He, he said he, you know, he's very critical of himself. That unit, I think sort of embodies that as well. So, uh, I would I would bank on them having a better day against Austin P. I know it'll be Austin P. And so what can we take away from it? But I know those guys will want to go out there and not have any penalties, not have any drops, uh, not having some of the things that that they had uh, pop up in the first game. Well, I guess this is the, probably the best way to put kind of my thoughts on the receivers and, and the passing game in general right now. I just 
I look at that group and and it's and I kind of thought it would be this way going into game one. So this isn't necessarily just based on what we saw Saturday, but I think I think this is just gonna be a passing game that has less margin for error. Um last year you've got a, a guy like Hendon Hooker that read it so well, read it so quickly, made such accurate throws, especially in the short and mid-range game, threw a beautiful deep ball. I mean, when when there was a mistake made by the defense, they often made them pay. Uh, and, and that's where you saw guys just running wide open. And you had one of the fastest receivers in the country, probably in Jalen Hyatt, uh, that obviously won the Blitnikoff. You had Cedric Tillman out there for parts of the year that was kind of the security blanket for Hendon Hooker that he could just throw it up to when he, even when he wasn't that open and just hoped that he made a play in, in tight coverage. I just don't think they have those kinds of advantages this year that give them such an upper hand in the passing game to where Joe Milton's going to have to be pretty on the money uh, that, that they're, they're not going to be able to make such spectacular plays on such a routine basis. And that maybe those easy touchdowns aren't going to be quite as numerous. So they're going to have to, to be efficient on, on third down. They're going to have to make good throws. You know, Brew McCoy, we've talked about it before, not going to get a ton of separation all the time. Got to make a good throw. He's got to make tough catches, you know? So they just, I think they're going to have less margin for error and that's going to make, you know, force them to be on their game and execute with, uh, with some precision in the passing game, even more so than they did last year, where you had, you know, Hendon Hooker's legs and Jalen Hyatt to to make big plays all the time to to kind of not bail you out, but to make just make things easier. And they're gonna have longer drives this year, too, I think, because they're not gonna have maybe quite as many of those explosive plays in the passing game to just, you know, score in three plays and make it look so easy. Well, and, and kind of my last thought or two on this game, Patrick, I, I want to talk about Joe Milton a little more in depth here in, in a moment but my, my overall general thought coming out of this game it, it's something that was confirmed for me that I thought throughout the offseason and that is that the offense is going to take most likely a slight step back hard not to when you have the number one overall offense in everything a season ago only uh, still- 499 yards Saturday only 499 <laughs> only 494 or 490 whatever it was i mean that that is pretty pretty what a drop off everybody needs to be fired i mean josh heupel put him on the hot seat with, with billy napier um but no to, to ryan's point like there, there's going to be a, a a slight step back uh, just because last year was so good but this offense is still going to be good right like there there's this undertone of this conversation of of the offense not doing uh, enough on that's, Saturday. That's, and the they, wet, that's the wet blanket Callahan. Well, it's uh, not just Callahan. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think it's everybody, this particular point that is, uh, is everybody who watched the game on Saturday felt like the offense left some points out there on the field and, and it wasn't the cleanest uh, execution by the offense, especially there in the first half. And they still scored 49 points and practically put up 500 yards. Uh, so my, my overall thought that was confirmed for me that I had over the offseason is that while the offense may take a slight step back and, and may have a frustrating moment here and there, the defense might take an even bigger step forward, and it's going to even out, if not make the overall team better and more equipped to go truly compete for a championship and possibly make a playoff spot. So I, I let, let's maybe steer clear of the championship and, and playoff comment I threw I was going to say uh, on, on the so, end there. So but, put him in the playoff and I'm replacing all the receivers. Is that what we got for week one? Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess we can draw it up that way, but, it, but if, <laughs> it, it's like, always an overreaction, like, right? I mean, that's, if, that's just how it goes in the sport. Right. 
which is funny, but if if last year's team that had a defense here and there at times, especially at the end of the year, but if if the defense is is going to be so much better than it was a season ago, and the offense is only going to take a smidge step back, then wouldn't that make this year's team better than last year's team? And last year's team won eleven games and flirted with the SEC East and flirted with the college football playoff spot. So well, where, where are we putting this team if overall they're better? Well, see, I, that, that's where I differ from from maybe the way you guys saw the defense Saturday. I don't know yet that they're significantly better than last year defensively. I think they played very well Saturday, but they also had some really good games last year. You know, I mentioned Saturday they gave up 13 points and destroyed LSU. They gave up six points against Kentucky and absolutely dominated that game last year. So they had some fine moments last year and – it probably can't be said enough that Virginia was one of the worst offenses in FBS football last year. So we'll see how much better they are. It's hard to tell you know much about the progress they might have made since last season based on that one game. It may turn out that they're a much better team, but if if Virginia is similar to what we saw last year, then giving up only 13 points against them is you know probably what Tennessee should be doing. So, well, what what do you think about my earlier comment about yes, this is a small sample size, but in a sense, it's a a good chunk of the group that played against Clemson. And if this yeah. defense is more like Clemson performance or the ones that you mentioned, Kentucky, then, then, and it's more like that on a more consistent basis, then isn't the overall team going to be better? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the key. Yeah. If, if they are that good consistently, then yeah, it, I think that probably is a better team overall. You know, I, I, I mentioned that Saturday. That's, that's a real possibility. I, I wonder about that, especially a game like, Texas A&M and especially with one of the trends that we saw across college football and I wondered about this coming out of Saturday we saw a lot of teams running way fewer plays with the new clock rules we wondered what kind of impact that would have on the game some teams barely got 50 snaps on offense and so teams that slow it down on Tennessee it it, it might result in some slightly lower scores Um, I don't think it's going to impact Tennessee that much but instead of scoring 41 against somebody you might score 30 or 34 um, because of the game just being shortened and and that's that, that's something worth keeping in mind. So I, I could see Tennessee having to win some games 27-24, you know, with with some with defense as opposed to 45-42, um, you know, last year maybe. So it, it it could change some things a little bit and, and could make them a better team overall. This team's gonna have more, you know, maybe a little more versatility if the defense is that consistent. Uh different ways they can they can win games. That's that's definitely a plus. Uh I I you know, obviously still gotta see a little bit more, but I I think the secondary at least looks Looks solid, you know. The the question being, how much better can that group get with a lot of the same bodies? But they do have more depth and, and more competition. I think has made them better. So, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll buy into the idea that they they might be able to win some games, you know, with defense a little bit more as opposed to last year. But you know, I, I do have to kind of have that that uh, that asterisk there with you know Virginia still might be a pretty bad team. So I'm not ready to say just yet that the defense is a lot better. But the, the key though is I think they've replaced. Byron Young pretty well if they get what they got out of James Pierce on Saturday if that's a regular thing that we see from from Tennessee's pass rush they're going to be okay because that was to me that was the number one concern about this defense at least for me personally more than the secondary is can you replace Byron Young and get what you need out of that group so far absolutely and there's a chance they could even be a little bit better there if Josh Josephs and some other guys show up too yeah I I think um it's still too early to me to to know exactly how the clock rules are going to impact uh, a game um you know we're we're not as hypo pointed out on monday we're not to conference play yet 
Um, I think some of those teams that struggled to get to 50 plays were the teams that weren't trying to run a lot of plays, um, you know, maybe last season. I think uh, the tweet you may be referencing that I saw was what, two of them are Big Ten teams. I mean, those teams don't go fast. And some of them are underdogs, so they're probably trying to do what you said, and that's yeah, take a lot of time off the clock, play slow. And, and there's going to be teams that, that do that against Tennessee. You know, we saw Billy Napier in Florida try to do it last year where they tried to play ball control and um, and eat up a lot of the clock. And, and there's going to be games like that where um, Tennessee is, is not going to get as many possessions, and, and that's going to make avoiding kind of the lulls that we've seen them have, I guess, in this iteration with this – more of this personnel grouping with Milton at quarterback, you know, we saw it a little bit against uh, maybe Vanderbilt. I don't recall them really having a several empty possessions in a row, but they definitely started kind of slow against Clemson. But um, I think the good news is, is that there's like, there's an inherent belief on this offense that it's going to click eventually and they're just going to score. Um, and then once they score, it's kind of comes in bunches. So uh, I think the mentality of the team was good from that point. Cause I mean, there was some frustration there, I think in the stadium on Saturday that, you know, that they should have been blowing Virginia out from the jump and they weren't, it was seven, nothing midway through the second quarter, but they pushed through it. Um, and, and I think there is a good mentality from the defense that was put in some bad situations field position wise and didn't, you know, didn't panic, didn't do anything like that. And they were able to uh, keep Virginia from scoring at all on those three possessions. So, and that's probably why Hypo went for it on fourth and one. Cause he just didn't, you know, he wasn't scared about, he wasn't scared of Virginia and, uh, he shouldn't have been because that team is is got an uphill battle, I think, to win. Certainly, to get to ball, you know, ball eligibility. If they get three or four wins, it might be a good step for for that program. They're they're still sort of in rebuilding mode, but yeah, I, I think this. You know, there's going to be days where this offense looks really good, and there's going to be days when this defense, you know, it's just they they don't have it. So there's it's going to be sort of ebbs and flows. You think about last season and how much fun it was, but you know, there were games that the defense had to bail out the offense, and there were games that the offense. Had to score every time and did so. Um, you know, time only time is going to tell if if that's going to be the case again. But um, certainly, I think there was a lot more good than bad on Saturday. And uh, again, we're going to have to see what this team does uh, when they go to Gainesville. We're not going to learn anything about them this week. We might get to see a lot of young guys play against Austin P, which would be good. Should get plenty of Nico. Everybody will be excited about that. Um, but really, to sort of figure out what they're going to be the rest of the way. It's can they go to Gainesville, which is a place where Tennessee teams have, you know, for the last 20 years have found ways to pee down their legs, more or less. And a lot of times Florida had really good teams, let's be honest. But, you know, that that's going to be the game that's going to sort of set the, you know, be the springboard. And even if they lose that game, it's not the end of the world. But uh, if they want to be as Ben, you know, says, and, and he's right, that this is a team that has championship playoff aspirations. That's where they want to be at the end of the season. They got to go you know, went on the road and do that. So, um, but I, I do think that y'all's initial thoughts that maybe the offense takes a slight step back just because last season was so good and the defense takes a step forward for, you know, they have better depth, they have better athletes, they're in the third year of the system, competition, all that stuff. Um, I think that's held true after one game. I'd agree with that, but there's such a long way to go and and, and we got to see how the season and the team sort of evolves over the course of, of the schedule. As I continue to watch the the replay of the game, one guy that I don't know if we discussed uh, maybe in passing on the on the post game podcast, I wanted to throw in here. I, I thought Omar Norman Lott played really well uh, on Saturday, and that's that's another guy that you know has has given that defensive line a chance to be better than, than last year. And, and David Hobbs, you know, for that matter, to play the number of snaps he did as a true freshman in his first game 
think shows you the kind of belief the staff has in him. I think he played the fourth most snaps of any defensive lineman, which, you know, some of that may have been after the game was out of reach. I don't know what the breakdown was there, but regardless, he, he was in there a lot and, and he showed up uh, at least a few times uh, in the backfield and, and made some things happen. So uh, I think those guys get, give Tennessee some, you know, some upside there uh, and, and some other young guys, obviously throughout the defense too, that could, could make them even better. One final thought here, uh, just to add to that, you know, you're always reminded in week one of how things always could have been, it could have been worse, even if you, even if you, there are some negatives. I don't think there are many negatives for Tennessee and for Tennessee in a 36 point win, but just look around the SEC. Um, if Tennessee had played at BYU this, this past weekend, maybe it, it could have been a little bit tougher. Uh, you see South Carolina lose and not have a great performance. You see LSU get handled in the second half against uh, Florida State. Uh, I, I think looking around the SEC is kind of the reminder of Tennessee's opportunity because this this conference to me still is not very deep. And, and South Carolina, if they kind of fall back to earth a little bit after their strong finish last year, that's just going to make Tennessee's path to a to a really good season that much easier. So um, it, it's it's a reminder that hey, even if Tennessee's got a few you know minor things to work out after game one, they're in much better shape than some of their conference rivals uh, coming out of their first game. I just think this defense is more like the Clemson and Kentucky performance than the Missouri or Florida performance from a season ago. And I think they're going to be pretty dominant, especially up front. Uh, and obviously they're not going to be perfect game to game. Uh, to Patrick's point earlier uh, about the offense needing to bail out the defense and, and vice versa at times, that's team sports. Uh, it, the historic offenses and historic defenses are, are the ones that, that don't need to be bailed out. And technically, last year's Tennessee offense was a historic offense, and, and there were times where it needed to be bailed out. That That's just the the way team sports work. So neither side of the ball is going to be perfect this season. Tennessee's defense bailed out Tennessee's offense there in the first half on Saturday, as as Patrick pointed out. And, and I thought that was one of the the biggest takeaways and, and something that should give Tennessee fans a lot of hope and promise about this defense, hope and confidence, I should say, is that they were put in tough situations and they did not flinch whatsoever. I, I don't care what the level of the opponent was. To, to be thrown in adverse situations and not blink, that, says, that tells me a lot personally. And I, I would be very, very surprised if this game in the Swamp the, this game uh, against the the fighting chickens in, in Neyland Stadium at the end of the month, I, I would be very surprised if if Tennessee's defensive front does does not kind of wreck shop and 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 set the tone. They they should that that is my expectation, uh, at least in those two particular games. Yes, still small sample size, but my questions are are, are geared more towards the A and M game. Bama game, Georgia game. Like, how does this defense look against those type of opponents? Yep. Uh, because th those are the ones that that have quite a bit of talent. Whereas this Florida offense and South Carolina offense, South Carolina has Juice Wells, who although is is banged up pretty bad right now, but their offensive line is a mess. Their running game is a mess. They 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 talked themselves into converting a quarterback to running back and thinking that was going to solve their run game issues over the offseason. And, and, and it looked atrocious. I don't, I don't care what Shane Beamer wants to say about blaming the, the refs for, for coming out late to start the second half because they were eating hot dogs. No, your 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 offensive line was eating hot dogs mid-play. Like, y'all y'all do not look good up front along the offensive line, and I'd be surprised if this Tennessee defensive front doesn't set the tone there. And then that Florida offensive line looked just as bad against a very physical Utah front seven. And I think this Tennessee front seven is very, very f physical and, and is going to set the tone down there in the swamp. Yeah, well, let, 
Let's give Spencer Rattler some credit. I, he he played pretty good considering he was what was he thirty or thirty nine for three hundred something well, yards. Now, Patrick, when I will sacked, and when you're getting sacked nine times, that's that. I mean, I got to give him some credit for for well, not. I don't and think I, that's I've, very fair of you, quite honestly, because I I said the same exact thing about Graham Mertz, who had the same exact type of performance, and you laughed laughed me at a Nissan Stadium on Saturday. Well, well. I don't think Graham Mertz is is great. Don't get me wrong, but I I just don't. Mertz I didn't, didn't get sacked five times. Mertz didn't get sacked nine times. So that's no, but he's still running for his life on every single play. Um, Florida's issue was was finishing drives, and that's and coaching. Be, well, that too, but they they couldn't finish drives, and and that's why I think Tennessee, um, that 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 could be a strength of this defense moving forward. Is uh, they should be pretty good at, at red zone defense, honestly, because. Um, they're really good against the run. And, and when you get down there, the, the, you know, the field shrinks. And, um, if you're able to get teams in, in passing situations down there, that that's to your advantage as a defense. So, um, yeah, that's, you know, LSU got blown out by, by Tennessee last season and turned around and won the West. And, um, you know, teams have, have bounced back from first week disasters, but, uh, certainly Florida and South Carolina, those games look a lot more manageable now. Um, you still got to go out and play those games. And I know, you know, for the next two weeks, Tennessee fans are going to be worried about that Florida game just because Tennessee hasn't won the swamp since 2003 and has found ways to lose to average to bad Florida teams. But, um, you know, it, this team seeing this Tennessee team, I, I, I've liked the mentality of them really throughout the offseason. I think they've got good leadership. I think they've got, um, I don't know if it's the Hendon Hooker sort of mentality where they're just like, uh, something goes bad they're just like eh, it's all right well you know it's no big deal we'll play the next play whatever i don't want to use Audi. i don't want to use the well yeah i mean he's pretty he's a pretty cool customer as well um i don't want to use the the s and the snap and i don't want to use that phrase <laughs> um if i can if i can avoid it um but the team doesn't you know they didn't get really rattled on on saturday and i know that was a a friendly atmosphere but you know, they, they've got to show that they can do that on the road. Um, but, yeah, I mean, those those two games, yeah, they, they look a lot more winnable now. Maybe, you know, we gotta, we'll got to we find out about A&M when they play Miami this week. Um, we'll find out about Alabama when they play Texas. So um, we're, we're going to be learning a little bit more about some more teams on, on Tennessee's schedule sooner than maybe we learn about Tennessee. And um, I think that's going to be sort of an interesting way to sort of paint the rest of the schedule. Yeah, and that that is an interesting way to look at it and and spark the thought maybe that that for a conversation that we need to say for for next week. But I, I do feel like if there's one thing that this program, not that they have it all figured out, that there's still a lot of things they need to prove. But one of those things to become a a true championship contender and and potentially win a championship is they don't have a signature win on the road in, in a true road environment and unless I'm missing one. I mean, I think back L- to, to year one. Yeah, that would be the one. Yes. That yes, was a signature. But I also do, it was for sure. Uh and I don't want to take anything away from that. But Kentucky the, the environment first year was well I was gonna say about year one, like I like they they were in a legitimate game with Alabama and Florida on the road going into the fourth quarter that year and they kind of in my opinion let the environment get the best of them and that led to some some mistakes dropped passes guys running the wrong routes penalties they let the environment get the best of them in those games 
Uh, and then last year, I, I certainly think the Georgia environment got the best of them. Uh, and I also think that the South Carolina environment got got to them uh, a little bit as well. And again, I, I really am not trying to take credit away from the LSU game. That should certainly be mentioned. That is a key win away from Neyland Stadium under Josh Heupel. But I don't think that – and y'all were there. I was not there, so y'all can correct me and put me in my place. But I don't feel like that environment matched the environment of the other games that I just mentioned and where I thought that they got rattled. I well, agree. It, and it, it wasn't it wasn't Athens. Uh, Eleven a.m. kickoff. Yeah, but it was it was full and it was lively. Um, I'm yep. not gonna discount that. I mean, those those Cajuns they get fired up for football at all times of the day. Um, and when it's that early, you can just keep drinking from the night before, right? I mean, it's pretty simple. Um, it, no, it was it as hostile as Georgia or South Carolina was. No, South Carolina was hostile because South Carolina went right down the field and scored and got got the crowd right in the game. Georgia fans were out for, and really Georgia's team too. They were they were out for blood that day. I mean, they were that place was really really loud. Um, so yeah, Tennessee didn't handle it very well. But it's something that that Tennessee is going to have to prove this year. Certainly, being able to to handle those environments on a more consistent basis is is the proper way uh, to say it. Because the, the the swamp, regardless of the team that Florida's putting on the field, that's still going to be a test and something that Tennessee needs to check off the box. Uh, and then, of course, I can only imagine what Bryant Denny is going to be after the way Tennessee treated Alabama last season. I, I think they will have revenge on their mind. We'll we'll see if the team is is ready to give revenge. Uh, last thing on the way out the door, Patrick, uh, Josh Heupel kind of sort of spoke about injuries on Monday uh, during his press conference. What what was the latest on a couple of different guys? Yep. Everybody's fine. <laughs> so the, uh, that was I thought, the, uh... I thought the square white comments were, were notable that, that he could have gone back into the game if need be. And that 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 square white injury was was one that had people a little bit nervous over the weekend. Yeah, and, and again, you know, we'll see how much these guys do this week and play. It's Austin P. You should be able to get by with with without some of these guys if you need them. Brew McCoy talked to the media, so he he said he was fine. Uh, he's shoot probably one of the toughest guys on the team at this point. He's got to be up there. Um, but said he was fine. Said he's you know fine going over the middle, taking big hits because it's football and you're going to get hit and might as well catch the ball too. Um, so yeah, and Amari Thomas, Tyler Barron came back in the game. I feel like Barron was shaken up in a lot of games last season and, and came back in. So, uh, and I think Amari in that situation, he might've just been tired. So, you know, big guys get tired when it's hot, <laughs> especially on, on that turf. And I guess the other notable thing to come out of Heupel's press conference, Ryan, uh, was that D Williams will be staying on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, that, that was a question and a, and a totally fair one, given the way he has made. I think we're all wondering that. Yeah, on special teams, it, it, the way he shows up, why not get the ball in his hands once or twice uh, and just see what see what he can do in a in a specialty role or something? But Josh Heupel said, "No, that's that's not going to be happening. Certainly not right now." And uh, you know, he he's going to continue to work on on defense. Where where frankly, that's the other part of the the you know where the question would come from. Tennessee does have a number of bodies in the secondary. You know, Christian Harrison, even a guy kind of a forgotten man at corner, they got some playing time Saturday. So they, you know, and that doesn't even include Jordan Matthews, Christian Conyer, those young guys behind there who didn't get any work on defense in the opener. You know, for for all those guys to be at that position, you 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 wondered about, you know, trying to trying to see what D. Williams could do. But 
doesn't sound like that will be happening on, on offense. And uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll see if that's something they may maybe revisit at some point, but certainly not not in the plans right now. Uh, the only other injury I'm, I'm kind of keeping an eye on this week, and only you know more so because it's it's Austin P week. You know, Keenan Peely, I think, got a little bit banged up in the in the second half of that game uh, and and didn't or, or maybe earlier in that game. I forget exactly when, but didn't play most of the second half, uh, I believe. And, and Elijah Herring got a lot of run after halftime. So not sure yet what his status is or if that's anything too serious. Either way, though, that, that he could be at least one to, to watch. So maybe don't be surprised if he plays a, a limited role or, or, or ends up sitting out, if that is anything, anything to. To, to worry about at all you know as Patrick kind of alluded to this is a game where you can kind of afford to to rest some guys if they're on the fence at all injury wise and, and test your depth elsewhere Tennessee will be in Neyland Stadium on Saturday evening for the first time in the 2023 season kickoff is set for 5 p.m eastern on SEC Network Plus against the governors of Austin P there in Clarksville this will be uh the second matchup between the two teams. Austin P was the opponent in Butch's first game as head coach of, of the Vols back in 2013 and Tennessee won 45 to nothing. And then of course, on this Saturday, 51 years after Condridge Holloway became the first black player to start at quarterback for an sec football team, Tennessee will wear the artful Dodger smoky gray uniforms. And we of course will have plenty of coverage of Saturday's home opener up at GoVols247.com, and we will be back on Thursday to preview Saturday's game and discuss what we want to see from Tennessee, and then we will be back on Friday as well with an opponent preview with somebody who knows Austin P football in and out like the back of their hand, like GoVols247 knows Tennessee football like the back of its hand. And for the great Patrick Brown and Ryan Callahan, I am Ben McKee. This has been another edition of the GoVols247 podcast. There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals247. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals247 where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more 
uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, you also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.